Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, thank you for joining us on the Light in the Darkness podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Nathan Ogden. He has such an inspirational story that I think a lot of us will be able to learn things from. Before we get started, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about Nathan. So Nathan Ogden has taught thousands how to conquer their fears and move from paralysis to progress through eliminating excuses in their lives. He is a wheelchair athlete, co-creator of the nonprofit Chair of the Hope, author of the book Unfrozen, and co-author of the book Resilience and Leadership in Trying Times, both number one sellers. Nathan lives in Boise, Idaho, and is married to a beautiful wife with four children. He uses his unique life-changing experiences in overcoming challenges to motivate a variety of groups, from high schools to business executives throughout the country. Nathan's courage and determination gives hope and power to all who know him and hear his message. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Nathan. I'm excited to be here. This is fun. Awesome. So can we first just get to know you a little bit? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Boise, Idaho. Um, I love playing sports. I love the outdoors. My dad taught us to to work hard and to, to travel and to experience new adventures. And so that's what uh, I've carried on. And luckily I married a wonderful girl who will do that stuff with me. <laughs> Adventuring is so important. I'm not very adventurous. My, <laughs> my family will tell you that, but that's wonderful that you were able to do that. Do you have um, any siblings? I do. I have, uh, there's five of us. I have an older sister, an older brother, and then two younger brothers. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, we're all we're all pretty close in age, usually about a year and a half apart. Awesome. And you just lived in Boise the whole time you were growing up? Uh, growing up, yeah. And then I went on a mission. Well, I went to Rick's College for a year. Okay. Went on a church mission to Cleveland, Ohio, and then back to Rick's where I met my wife. And then we, yeah, we lived in Boise for a few years until I had an accident that started to take us other places. Yeah. So tell me really quick, um, you said that you have four kids. So what are their ages and what are they kind of doing right now? <laughs> we have a 21-year-old girl, Senia. Uh, she served a mission, got off in January, and now she's down at UVU just starting at Utah Valley University. We have a son who's on a mission. Um, he was in Argentina, Buenos Aires East Mission, um, came home because of coronavirus oh. after six months, was here for two months, and now he's, he's down in the Ventura, California Mission. Nice. Um, so it's, it's a struggle for them, yeah. trying to be missionaries through all of this, but he's hoping that it'll open up enough he can go back to Argentina. 
then we have a 15 and 13 year old girls. Awesome. Under that. So you brought it up a little bit, but um, you had a pretty significant trial come into your life in December of 2001. So you, can you just tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, we were, we've been married for four and a half years. Um, I have an amazing wife, Heather, and we had two little kids. It was Senia and Kyler. She was two. He was almost one. And uh, we bought our first home. We, my job was going great. I'd graduated college. Everything was kind of the way you think it should be at 26 years old. Yeah. And uh, we went to her house. She's from Bend, Oregon. And three days before Christmas, we went there and I went skiing with my younger brother-in-law, Andrew. And while we were up skiing on Mount Bachelor that day, just a few days before Christmas, I, we came around this run that we hadn't been on yet. And there were two big jumps. And after the second jump, there was a group of about 25 to 30 people that were watching um, as people came off this jump. Okay. And I like to go off jumps. I'm not a, I don't do a bunch of backflips or tricks, but I love going off jumps. So he went down and sat in the group to watch. And I waited my turn, a couple of people in front of me. And finally it was my turn. I jumped and I started pushing down the hill, um, came onto the first jump. And it's called the tabletop jump, which means it kind of goes up, it levels off, and then it drops down the other side. And I didn't hit it hard enough. So I went up and I kind of slapped down on top of it okay. and then slid off the other side. So as I'm coming up towards the second jump, it's lightly snowing, so I can't see real clear. I'm coming down kind of fast. I'm looking to the jump, trying to figure out where to hit it. I've never done it before. And then my confidence in my ability to ski turned into cockiness <laughs> because now there's 30 people watching me yeah. and instead of being a little cautious and you know slowing down a bit and hitting it I tucked in tight and went straight into the middle and when I hit the jump I immediately knew something was wrong no. instead of shooting you kind of out and up like a jump should I went almost straight up into the air oh. I just came in way too fast and I got, according to the people watching, 30 feet into the air. Ugh. So that's three basketball hoops high. Wow. And I remember all of this. I rotated backwards really slow. I came down and I landed on my neck and my body collapsed down on top of me like an accordion. I tumbled my skis and poles and flying and I ended up in kind of a fetal position. Yeah. looking downhill and my first thought was I look like an idiot I got to get up <laughs> I mean that's really what we would think mm -hmm. and so I tried to get up because everyone's sitting there watching me and all I could do was move actually it was this elbow my left elbow a little bit and it fell back down onto my side and I thought man what's what's going on why can't I get up now well now nah, I just knocked the wind out of myself no big deal I'll be just fine. So I try it again. I get my arm about half as high as I did before. And it falls back down onto my side. And I remember sitting there looking down at my legs, thinking, why, why can't I move? Come on, legs, move. Every time I've fallen into my life, 
and I've fallen many times, I get back up. It may hurt, but I get back up. Yeah. And right then there was this uh, burning pain that started throughout my whole body. And I don't know how to ex explain it very well other than if you were sitting up around a campfire making s'mores with your family and someone came and picked you up and set you in the fire and you just started to burn. Oh. And it was a very strong burning pain everywhere. And then every breath that I took was getting harder and harder to breathe. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I couldn't get up and I couldn't do anything. Yeah. So they end up taking me off the hill um they couldn't bring in a chopper the weather was too bad so we had to ambulance me back down to the hospital my wife was out shopping this is before this is 18 and a half years ago this is before cell phones everybody had cell phones yeah. so my wife is out shopping for christmas with her sister and my brother-in-law had to like go out and start trying to find her wow. just going to stores yeah so she met me at the hospital as i got there and they did x-rays and everything. And then I I said, guy, I'm just tired. Give me something to go to sleep. I'm wore out. And so I went to sleep. And I don't remember anything over the next three days. Okay. I think they had me on some pretty good drugs. Yeah. <laughs> now, my wife said I, I was awake and I did different things. I don't remember any of it. My family drove all the way to Bend to see me for Christmas. And I don't remember anyone ever coming. Okay. But uh, they told my wife after I went to sleep that I had broke my neck, that I was paralyzed. So I'd shattered my C7 vertebrae. So it's the biggest bone sticking out of the back of your neck down at the bottom. Okay. Shattered it and it sent bone fragments into my neck and spinal cord, instantly paralyzing me and told her that I would probably never walk again. I can't imagine what that was like for her. Now, I know you'll probably have her on the show sometime and she can discuss to. some of that. Yeah. But. Um, so three days later, you you kind of start remembering from that point on. Um, who did she tell you that you were paralyzed or how did that kind of conversation go? No, I remember I woke up in the ICU. Mm -hmm. And it, my eyes were kind of blurry. I was look, kept looking over at the clock, trying to read it. And I couldn't figure out what time it even was. And that burning pain was just stinging everywhere. And uh, it was not long after I had kind of woke up and started to remember that Heather came walking in. And instantly that pain that I felt disappeared. And she walks over and she grabs my hand and she says, Nathan, I, I love you. And I quickly said, I love you too. Don't worry. We're going to be okay. I'll get through this. But nothing came out of my mouth. Oh, wow. And I thought, What's, why can't I talk? Mm -hmm. And I thought there might be a breathing tube or something, but why couldn't I make even a noise? And Heather, she went over and she grabbed a little mirror. And she held it up over my head and I could see my upper body. And I had a, I had tubes and wires stuck everywhere in my body. I had a feeding tube up your nose, clear down into your bottom of your stomach. And I had a halo on 
If you've ever seen someone in a big metal halo oh, yeah. that straps around your head, down around your body to hold it in place so your body can heal. Okay. And that's literally screwed into your skull Ugh. in four different places. So I still have scars from those. Okay. But the worst part, I mean, all that I think I could handle. I'll get through it. Yeah. Even the paralysis. Because I couldn't, I couldn't reach up and grab the mirror. I couldn't even squeeze my wife's hand was that i don't know if you can see it on camera but right here they had to cut a hole in my throat to put in a tracheostomy to put in a breathing tube for me yeah and because of that no air is going past your vocal cords and out of your mouth so i couldn't speak that was the hardest thing because i couldn't let my wife know it's okay mm -hmm. i'm not going anywhere i'll be there for the kids we're going to be all right and that's what was killing me. And so we, she talked to me a little bit, told me a little bit about what was going on. And I remember she had to leave and go back to the kids at her parents' house to take care of them. Um, what, what happened next that evening was one of the defining moments in my life because I'm laying there in that bed and I could not go to sleep. And that burning pain is just driving me nuts. And this ventilator is breathing for me just every, you know, few seconds. It takes another breath for you. Yeah. I have no control over that. So the only thing I can do, literally the only thing I can do physically is I can blink. Wow. And I could not go to sleep. I had a temperature of 104 I was hot. I was just wore out. I'm frustrated about my situation. And the nurse shut off the lights, closed the curtains, and went out to try and help me go to sleep. Yeah. And as I'm sitting there laying there trying to get to sleep, um, the machine, the ventilator that's breathing for me, started to malfunction. And so I'm getting less and less air every time that we're getting a breath. Yeah. So I'm slowly suffocating, sitting there in the ICU, the most watched part of the hospital, and I'm suffocating, but I just thought it's probably no big deal. There's an alarm going off out at the nurse's station. They'll be right in. Yeah. But no one came in. So then I tried and I started thinking, what can I do? And so I was like, if I can pull out a wire or a tube or something, there's got to be an alarm that goes off then. So I kept trying to move and pull something off and move my legs and body, whatever I could. I was even trying to move my neck. And I even yelled as loud as I could, help. But no alarms went off. My body never moved and nothing came out of my mouth. And uh, that's when I just started to realize this, this could be it. And there's nothing I can do about it. So. I did the only thing that I knew I could do. And I closed my eyes. That's the only thing I could control on my body. Yeah. And I pictured myself kneeling down next to my gurney. And I said a prayer. And it was a very, very heartfelt prayer. And during that prayer, as I was trying to, you know, please help me to get better, please help someone to come in, please help my family, whatever trying to ask for blessings, I started thinking in my mind, 
this is where Satan gets you. I started thinking, you know what? Maybe it's better for everyone if this machine quits working. Because I don't, I don't want to live a life laying in a bed. I don't want to be a vegetable the rest, you know, for years and years. Yeah. I don't want people to have to only take care of me. Maybe it's better for my kids if they have a dad that can run around with them outside, who could pick them up and throw them in the air and play with them at the park. That's who they need as a dad. And I probably won't be able to give that. Maybe it's better if this quits working and I pass away for my wife because she needs a husband who can go to work every day. She needs the husband who can take out the garbage and mow the lawn, who can come up behind her and give her a hug and tell her I love her. That's what she needs and deserves. Maybe it's better if this machine just stops and I was starting to believe all that and I don't know I don't know what their life would be like if it stopped but right as I was just kind of in that despair all of a sudden I just started thinking no no this is this is my life this is my wife I worked hard to get her. I'm not giving her up that easy. This is not somebody else's guy or girl to have. And these are my kids. I want those memories with them. But I also, I want to I be the one to teach him, my son how to throw a football. Or be out there and dance with my daughter at her wedding. And it's not going to happen the way I want it to. But I thought, no, I, it's worth fighting for. Yeah. It is worth living for. Will it be easy? No, it won't be easy, but it's worth it. And I deserve that. And it's okay to say I deserve something. Yeah. So right then, as I had made that decision, my nurse comes walking in. And I thought, oh, yes, my prayers have been answered. And her name is Helga. And I'm not joking that. I'm not making that up. Her name really was Helga. <laughs> that totally seems like someone you would, you know, see in a James Bond movie. Give us the information or we're bringing in Helga. <laughs> and she looked like a Helga. <laughs> so she comes walking in and she walks over to the machines. She grabs the clipboard. She starts taking notes on looking at everything I'm doing. And I'm looking at her like she has to notice that I am on my last breath. Because I really was. I, yeah. I was like starving for the next time that that machine would give me any air. And she takes a few notes, sets down the clipboard, and just looks at me for a moment. And I just start blinking. Yeah. That's the only thing I can do. Yeah. So I'm like blinking like crazy. I know this is on audio right now, but I'm blinking like yeah. crazy. Trying to give her an idea, something, something's wrong. And she just kind of looks at me, smiles, and turns to start walking out the door. Oh, my gosh. And I was sitting there thinking, no, 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 no. This is not how <laughs> prayers work. I have prayed. I have done everything I possibly can. So I should get a blessing. I, why, why is this? Yeah. And she gets about halfway to the door, 
And I had this idea and I'd never done this yet. And I don't have saliva in my mouth because my mouth really isn't working. There's no air coming through it and everything. Yeah. So it's really dry. And so I had this idea though that just came to me quick and I started to click my tongue to the top of my mouth. That's a lot louder than it was then. <laughs> yeah. And I'd never done that yet. And she didn't hear it. And she gets to the door, grabs a handle, and starts to open it up. And I do it again. And she stops, turns around, and looks back at me. And then I start doing it like crazy. I'm like, mm, I'm blinking like crazy, clicking my tongue. And she turns around, shuts the door, walks back over, and just stares at me. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then I think all of a sudden she realized my chest wasn't raising anymore. And she reaches over and she did something with the knob. And all of a sudden, oh talk about a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Oh, I, and can't, I can't even imagine how helpless you must have felt. That, that, oh, <laughs> that breaks my heart. But it taught me something that day. It helped me realize my purpose. And we all have a purpose. And as you get, as your life, you go through your life, your purpose will change a little bit, but you'll still have a core purpose. Yeah. And I don't know if I'd really figured out what that was yet. I mean, I had a family, I had a good job. You know, we had a home, we were, things were just going good for us. You still have struggles, but we were doing good. Yeah. But at that moment, when everything is on the line, nothing else mattered in my mind other than my wife and kids yeah and i can tell you hands down what saved me was my faith in my family we always had in every room i was in the hospital we always had a picture of the savior up and that was one thing i could always look to and whenever the pain got so bad after different surgeries or this other nerve pain that i'm feeling like on a pain scale of one to 10 and everybody's pain scale is a little different yeah. throughout the day, my pain never goes below a five and it'll usually jump up to an eight or nine and back down and just kind of fluctuate throughout the day. And I have a high pain tolerance, So that is very painful to me. And I feel that today. Wow. So I've had it for 18 and a half years. I've tried everything to fix it, but whenever I had all this pain, Whenever I was extremely frustrated and depressed and just trying to figure out how am I going to get through this, I could look over at the Savior and think, you know what, this, this is terrible. This hurts so, so bad. But the Savior has felt worse. Yeah. If he can get through that, I can get through this. And that was something I had to do often is look at it and think of that and know that the savior had actually felt this pain yeah. and he had overcome so much more that I can do this. We also had a picture that we created or my family created that said, we believe. And they always had that next to my bed as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know where that picture went. I've been trying to find it. <laughs> but that's what my that's what my license plate says now. Oh. We believe. And that means a lot of things. It's not just we believe in God. Yeah. It's that 
I believe I should say we, because if it was just me, I don't know if I would have made it. But because I had an extraordinary wife, family, my kids were amazing. That's what helped me get through it. Yeah. And uh, you always have to believe. You always have to have hope. Because hope, hope is everything. Yeah. If you think about it, hope in the scriptures or just in life, you hear people and you talk about faith and believe and knowledge and all this stuff. But to me, hope is before everything. Yeah. Like hope to me comes before faith. Because if you don't have hope, you don't have anything. And if you don't have anything, what's to live for? Yeah. You always should have a hope. No matter how small it is, a hope that you will get past it. A hope that you'll meet the right person to marry. A hope that you, you guys will get pregnant. Even a hope for you that someday there'll be a remedy so that peanuts aren't a problem for you. <laughs> and maybe yeah. you'll be eating them. Yeah. <laughs> and I still, even though it's small, I still have a hope that I may walk again. Yeah. And uh, you always have to have hope. So uh, that's kind of what went through our my neck break um, 18 and a half years ago. And it was it was hard. That. It was very hard physically. I had a lot of surgeries, not just on my neck, but on my lungs and other things to help get me to where I could over the next year, after a lot of therapy, I got back to where I was working full time. Wow. I had a truck equipped so that I could drive. They tried to put me in a minivan and I'm like, eh, leave me in the <laughs> hospital. You're not putting me in a minivan. So like right now I'm sitting in a truck you that are. is it's a transformer truck. Like my shell lifts up in the air, there's a little crane, it'll bring my wheelchair around, set it down by my door, and my driver's seat swivels out and then lowers down to the height of my wheelchair. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then I have hand equipment so that I can drive because um after a year I got back most of my upper body wow. and it was still coming back. Like my hands are probably about ninety percent. Yeah. And my legs were just starting to move. Yeah. Not much at all, but they were starting to move. Yeah. And we had retrofitted my house so that we could do things better in there. And even though our life was different, we still had our dreams. Yeah. I still had a good home, a good family, a good job, and I'm not in a minivan. <laughs> And so we still had all that. So you never give up on your dreams. You never yeah. give up on what you want. You just may have to find a different path to get there. For sure. So don't give up on that. And so that, that neck break was hard on me physically and mentally. Yeah. But it was really hard physically because I lost so much. I was a very active person. Yeah. It's, it's so difficult when you have a trial that comes in your life and it, it really does completely change everything about you have this vision of how life is going to go and you're going to teach your kids these specific things and you're going to travel to these specific areas. And um, when a trial comes that kind of takes all of those things away, 
it's such a, a grieving process, really, of letting go this this life that you'd imagine for yourself. And honestly, I feel like I feel like really most people are asked to face that at a time or another. Like you said, whether it's finding the right person to marry or being able to have children or suddenly becoming allergic to peanuts or being paralyzed in a skiing accident, all of those things can come into anybody's life at any time and change things. But you did a great job of, I think, like you said, that first step that you took, that hope when you had your prayer and you decided, you know what, I'm not just going to roll over and, and die, essentially. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight. And I really do believe that this fighting spirit in you got you to that point where you were starting to be able to move your legs and really just having so many things that you never thought you were going to have again. Um, unfortunately, you did get sick. You got pneumonia. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about what happened after that? Yeah, it was 13 months later. Now, I'd, I'd had pneumonia a few times during that healing process. Okay. Um, but it was 13 months after that neck break. I came out with pneumonia. I was working again, like I said. Um, we still had a lot of physical issues that we dealt with, but we were making it. Yeah. And I came out with pneumonia, and Heather said, listen, if you're not feeling good by tomorrow or getting better, you're going to the hospital. And I didn't want to go back to the hospital, but I said, all right, whatever. If I'm not feeling good, fine. Just let me go to sleep. So I went to sleep, except my lungs are weak. My diaphragm's weak because of the paralysis. And in the middle of the night, my oxygen, blood oxygen level dropped too low. And I went unconscious in my sleep. And Heather woke up in the middle of the night and she felt inspired. Wake up, Nathan. And she went over, she couldn't wake me up. So they get an ambulance out. They rush me into the hospital early in the morning. They get me in the x-ray room and they've got me propped up with some kind of wedges behind my back so they can get a good shot of my lungs for the pneumonia. Are you still unconscious and at this time? I'm still unconscious at this yeah. time. And so it's just myself, the x-ray tech, and then Heather sitting in a chair right outside the door. The doctor said I, I probably would have died in my sleep had Heather not tried to wake me up and get me in there because wow. I, I would have just quit breathing. Yeah. I guess I have a problem with breathing. <laughs> so I'm on the x-ray table propped up. He goes to take a, a shot of my lungs. And before they get the x-ray, I was dropped off the x-ray table and broke my neck a second time. Wow. This time a little higher up. Is it the C6 level? Okay. And to make it short, after that second neck break, my first, actually my first words, Heather told me, they got oxygen on me, and when I came to, I was sitting in a different room, kind of a cold, empty hospital room, and Heather came in when I woke up, and she told me what had happened and that they were getting me to another hospital to do surgery. Wow. And I, my first three words that I said, and it was just in a whisper, was bring it on. <laughs> and I don't say that like, you know, hey, I'm great. I said, bring it on. Let's do it. I, I just knew in my mind, okay, that's, that sucks. Yes. But you know what? We've just done this. 
we can do it again. We can do it faster. We can do it better. It'll just be a month or two and we'll be right back to where we were and we'll be on it. It's better that it happens to me twice than it happens to someone else once. Mm -hmm. And so we, we took off with that attitude. The problem was, is what you were just discussing just a little bit ago is after a month or two, nothing was coming back. So after that second neck break, I lost the use of everything from the chest down. I lost the use of my hands. Like I can't move my fingers and I can't move my triceps in the back of my arm. So I can't like straighten my arm out. And that was really hard mentally because now I knew that um, the first neck break was physically hard on me. It was mentally as well, but the second neck break was more hard mentally because I became mentally paralyzed. Okay. Not mentally damaged like Heather thinks I am, <laughs> but mentally paralyzed, yeah. meaning that all these things that I wanted to do, dance with my daughter at her wedding, teach my son to throw a football, walk hand in hand on the beach with my wife, they're not going to happen the way that I pictured it in my mind. Because yeah. we all have ways that we picture we want our life to be. And, it, you know, girls are, this is how I pictured my wedding is going to be. It may not happen anything like that. Yeah. But now I knew all these things I wanted to do were not going to happen from a standing position. And that made me mentally paralyzed. It made me frozen. Yeah. And that's why I ended up writing a book about being unfrozen because I, over the next few years, I went through a lot of depression and I didn't realize I had it. Didn't realize I was dealing with it. Yeah. So my wife finally convinced me and it's still, I didn't believe it for a while. And, uh, it, I still struggle with a lot. It doesn't go away just because you have a good attitude. Yeah. I mean, if I, if we go to the beach and I'm watching my kids out there, you know, trying to surf and play and swim, I want to be there with them. I'm still on the beach. I still got my shorts on. People still pick me up, carry me and throw me into the water. I still do that stuff. But even though I'm doing it, I still want to do it the other way. Yeah. And it's not happening that way. So, but you can't dwell on that. You can't dwell on the what ifs. Yeah. If only I, you've got to take advantage of what you can do. Because there's a lot of things we can't control. If you sit and worry and stress about things you can't control, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Try and find remedies for the things that you can control. And uh, that's where you're going to find progress. And if progress is everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter how fast you're progressing, but you have to be progressing. You've got to be setting certain goals, even if it's as simple as I'm going to get out of bed and take a shower today. At least you did something. Yeah. So start with small, build it up. And you'll start finding the success, the achievements, and the progress you need to then start feeling more happy, start feeling that joy, um, that excitement when you start doing some of these things. Yeah. 
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I can't, I can't imagine how difficult that was not only for you, but you're, like you said, it's a whole family experience that's experiencing these trials um, in your life. And it definitely, I don't think anybody would ever blame you for feeling frozen and feeling frustrated with Heavenly Father and thinking, do you know what? I just have been working my butt off to get to this point. And then what? I'm unconscious and fall and all of a yeah. sudden starting all over, but even in a worse position. Um, I actually blame that on my wife. <laughs> I blame the second break on my wife because it, it was like a six months after the second neck break. Heather goes, I think I may have caused this. I'm like, what are you talking about? Were you like hitting me in the middle of the night or something? She said, no, for the week before you broke your neck, I was praying that we would have more opportunities to be humble. Oh my gosh. And I looked at her and I'm like, oh, Heather, boy, did you do it. And why did I have to be the one to break my neck? You were the one praying for it. Man, I can't even imagine that. So tell us kind of about, um, just quickly, what, what point you have been able to get to from therapy? Like you said, you are still, you're still sitting in a truck right now. So you were definitely able to regain some function. So kind of tell us where you are physically right now. Uh, I'm still paralyzed from the chest down. I can't move my triceps. I can't move my hands, my fingers. Every now and then, my middle finger will move just a little bit. <laughs> so I don't know if I can do it right there, but um, so I I didn't gain back a whole lot okay. um, after that second neck break. So most of my body is paralyzed, but I it took a few years, um, and I had a few jobs. But now I'm a I'm a keynote motivational speaker, and I travel around for conferences and firesides and all types of stuff to uh, to help teach good principles that people can help in their lives um, and to help make them laugh a bit, help make them cry and uh, help them move forward. Um, like I said, I got a few books that I've written or co-authored yeah. that, I mean, the book I wrote on my own, I wrote most of it with this little knuckle and uh, it helps teach a lot of principles of how to be unfrozen. Yeah. And then three years ago, um, our family started a nonprofit called Chair the Hope, like a wheelchair. Okay. Chair the Hope, and it we we did a big twelve hundred mile bike ride, like hand like pedaling. Yeah. From from Mount Bachelor in Bend, Oregon, where I broke my neck, down to Santa Monica Pier in Los Angeles. Oh wow! In nine days. Wow. And our youngest was ten years old at the time. And she was riding like 20, 25 miles along the California coastline. Um, and we did it to raise money to give wheelchairs to other people around the world. Because a lot of countries, it's just not even an option. Yeah. Um, and there's a really cool movie. If you go to chairthehope.org, um, I think you can, you, there's a link on there that you can watch a digital version of the movie. Okay. Um, or you can reach out to us and we can send you a DVD, but it goes through that bike ride and then our family going down and delivering 400 wheelchairs in three different cities throughout Mexico. Oh, wow. And now we, we have this nonprofit's kind of taken off. And so we still do trips. We take 30 people with us 
to like Peru and Costa Rica. We're going to Africa next year. We're going to Dominican Republic. We have all these cool places we're going and we, we have fun. We do distributions. You're giving out wheelchairs. You're, you're physically lifting up like an eight-year-old and putting them in their first wheelchair. Wow. What a cool experience that is to see their smiles. They start pushing their wheelchair around. And then uh, we also do local projects. We help build ramps and sidewalks and decks and help get people get specialized wheelchairs and stuff just here in Idaho, Utah. We've got some stuff going in Maryland, Texas. And uh, it's, it's fun. It's hard. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but how cool is that? It's so fun. And That's amazing. my wife can tell more about how all that began and what it's yeah. been like for her, but it's been quite an adventure and we're, we have so many blessings like this, this Saturday, I'm going to be down in Bountiful giving away my bike to a, to a, a boy down there. He's actually 21. Mm-hmm. Name's Tyler. And, but he's had some major health problems and uh, he's at a, probably about a third or fourth grade level. Mm-hmm. in his mind but just such a happy fun kid so we're trying to he's doing some amazing things and I'm trying to help him continue with that yeah that's amazing and I, the good thing yeah. is if I don't have my bike then Heather can't make me ride a long distance again <laughs> I love it I love it you know that's on this podcast that's one of the things that I like to talk about is that um you know, hard things happen to everybody. Does everybody get paralyzed twice in their lifetime? No, you're one of the few lucky ones that probably got to have that happen too. But um, everybody has something that happens in their life and they are given that choice. They, they can decide if they're going to have this trial, make them bitter. And like you were saying, kind of make them frozen in, in their mind and living a life that honestly, just is so difficult when you're feeling in that frozen frame of mind. Um, Or you can use your trials to make you better and to learn things from them, but not only help yourself and help your family, but I love that now you're helping people all over the world. I think that's so amazing. Um, One last thing that I did want to kind of talk about you talked about that you have a lot of strategies in your book, Unfrozen, and I will definitely link in my show notes a link to the book. Um, but what do you do yourself? You're, you're obviously, you're talked about um, that you're still dealing with breathing issues, different things like that. You're obviously still paralyzed from the next da- neck down. So I'm sure that you have good days and you have bad days. What are some strategies that you kind of use in your life, maybe in a daily or a weekly um, process that can kind of help you to stay in that positive frame of mind? Uh, like, I think a lot of it goes back to progress. Um, it goes back to doing something. So every day I have a, a few different things that I have set up that I have to do. So one is like read the scriptures. Right now I'm trying to learn Spanish. So I have to do like a lesson in Duolingo. Um, and uh, I'll have maybe two other things. It could be exercise when I had a shirt ho- a hurt shoulder. So that was one thing. I had to do that at least five or six days a week. So no matter what, at the end of the day, even if I procrastinated and I didn't get everything else done I wanted to, 
I know I did those. And it makes me go to bed at least not feeling terrible, guilty, like I was a failure that day, but that I did do something. And I think that is very important to pick a few things that you do every day. And you do those before you do anything else, possibly. And that way, you know you've done something. You'll feel better about yourself that you've kept that commitment. And then you can grow off of that. So that's one little tip. The other is that I talk about is you, it's okay to, to be depressed. It's okay to be in pain. It's okay to feel like you're not worth it. It's okay to, to have all this stuff. But it's not okay to dwell on it forever. So if something bad happens, if somebody offends you, if you want to be angry at them, then say, okay, I'm going to be angry at them for one hour and then I'm done. Or if you've had a really rough day and your pain's real high and you don't want to talk to anyone, say, okay, you know what? I'm going to be depressed today. Maybe your, your boyfriend broke up with you and you're really bummed. Give it a day. You know, get a bunch of ice cream, go sit and watch Netflix, whatever it is, and just be a dump for a day and let that sit on you and then put it aside and move forward. I think it's okay to have those moments. Nobody's positive all the time. Nobody's that way. I don't care who you are. Nobody is that way all the time. And so it's okay to feel that way. Just give yourself a time limit. And then be dedicated enough to stop and say, all right, I had my moment. I'm moving on. Yeah. So those are two little tips. And there's, there's a few others like oh, I excuses. I do a whole chapter on excuses. Excuses are the worst thing we have. But uh, we don't have time to get into all that right now. <laughs> well, they will definitely just have to get your book then. <laughs> I guess they can so. read it and, and get all of your amazing wisdom that you have been able to learn through your trial. So thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate it. If somebody was inspired by your story or maybe they're dealing with something kind of similar or maybe they're just feeling really frozen in their life and they're wanting to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Um, you can go to nathanogden.com is my website. I have contact information on there, but my, my email is just nathan at nathanogden.com. Okay. So reach out to me. Um, if you want to contact me, um, and we need to talk about something, um, I'd love to, to help you out. If it's mm-hmm. something you want to do more like coaching or something, then yeah, reach out. I, I do coach people, but not many. I only do about four or five at a time. I, that's, that's not my deal is having dozens and dozens of people. Yeah. Um, I want to focus on people if that's who I'm working with, but um, yeah, you can go to Nathan, basically just Nathan Ogden on Facebook. I'm not a huge social media fan. Let's get that <laughs> straight out there. I don't look at it. I'll post on it. Um, but I, I don't scroll and look at everything. Yeah. My wife gives me all the information I need from her looking at it. <laughs> I love but, it. Yeah. Just most things, Nathan Ogden okay. and, you'll find it, but you also love chair the hope you need to watch that movie. You guys will, your family will love that movie. I can't tell you how many parents come to us and say on Sunday when they say, all right, it's family time. What movie we're going to watch. They always say chair the hope. 
and uh, that's fun. I said it's a good family bonding, motivational um, kind of a documentary about what we did. I mean, it's a good movie. I'm not saying that because I'm yeah. a star in it. That's not it. <laughs> well, I'll definitely link that too. What is the website if they want to find more information about that? Sharethehope.org. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening today. If you were inspired by Nathan's story, can you please share it so that others can learn from him too? And if you have a question or a comment or would like to get in contact with me, you can always find me at carlyrobison.org. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and you're able to see the light in your own personal darkness. And we'll see you here next Wednesday. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son Carter for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at carterguitar456. 